Are you an investigative professional? Have you heard about the investigatorstoolbox.com? Check out this exclusive online community for networking, learning, and data resource management. The Toolbox is a one-stop shop for all your investigative needs. Check out our robust collection of forums, our comprehensive learning page, and our expansive library of OSINT research tools. We've just released an app for both iOS and Android, so you can access the site seamlessly right off your phone. We have also partnered with some amazing companies like Crosstracks, Delpoint, IRB, ScopeNow, the Hetherington Group, PI Magazine, PI Gear, Merlin Locate Services, Paravin, the PI Institute of Education, and so many more. They're offering over $1,250 worth of discounts and benefits exclusively to community members today. Use code PIP201836 and save 10% on your membership. That's www.investigators-toolbox.com. Are you overwhelmed with your current case load? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out MerlinLocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. Reliable evidence, whether in the form of video, witness statements, open source research, is critical to success in litigation and alternative dispute resolution. For nearly 40 years, the legal, corporate, and insurance communities have placed their trust in Stumar Investigations to deliver secure intelligence and actionable results. Led by Stuart Drobny, Stumar offers investigative and litigation support services across a diverse set of practice areas, including insurance, business intelligence, intellectual property, telecommunications, and family law matters. Headquartered outside of Philadelphia, Stumar is licensed throughout the Mid-Atlantic States, Florida, and maintains a trusted network of global partners to handle the most complex of cases. Call 800-355-1199 or email info at stumarinv.com and reference PI Perspectives for a free consultation, training, or partnership opportunities. Visit stumarinv.com for more information. Welcome to PI Perspectives. Today's guest is New York attorney David Parisman. David has had his own practice since 1983 and he offers some great insight on what investigators need to look for when working on a construction site accident. Be prepared to take notes and make sure you check the show notes for labor law explanations. So please welcome David Parisman and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Today we are in New York and I want to welcome David Parisman to the program. David, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's an honor, really. You have uh, had such a storied career, and uh, you're very well respected in the industry on, on plaintiff personal injuries. So this was a this kind of a big get for me. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with me. My pleasure. So plaintiff personal injury, uh, that's what we're talking about here today. We're, we're going to focus a little bit later on construction accidents and understanding the labor law. So as an investigator who's doing that kind of work, really understanding what needs to be in the work that we're getting you. So let's talk a little bit about your firm. You've been practicing on your own with your own practice since 1983. So uh, how have you seen things change over uh, that time? Well, the time that you're asking about it is during COVID. Obviously, the change recently is monumental. 
we have realized that we can do many things remotely right. that we didn't think we could do before um, and effectively. Right. I hold mediations remotely. I just did a very important deposition two days ago of a couple of witnesses in a very serious labor law case, right. also by Zoom. And I'll be honest, it worked quite well. Yeah. Obviously, we can't try cases by Zoom, so right. that, that makes a difference. How have things changed? Less collegiality than there was years ago. You miss it, right? I do. (laughs) I do. I will say, however, I think that things are a little more um, straight up in court than they were 40 years ago. What has been your experience in, in, in dealing with judges? And I've had a little bit during COVID, you know, just seeing just a different attitude across the board from everybody where it used to be like everything was so staunch and how you did things proper. Now it's just like, yeah, whatever. We got air in our lungs. We're breathing, right? I don't know if, if COVID changed how they respond. And judges vary. Some judges are very, you know, um, formal. Uh, you know, you sit in their courtroom, uh, you have to wait an hour or two before your case gets called. And if you take out a newspaper, you you violate their rules. They don't like that. God forbid Uh, a phone goes off, you're in trouble. (laughs) And there are other judges who are much more laissez-faire, shall we say. Right. Um, I prefer something in the middle. Right. So one of the challenges that I'm having here in New York as as an investigator is obviously getting around, right? So during the lockdown, we were deemed essential services. We had our lobbyists really push for that and clarify that. So we were able to get out and go around and work and do everything. So now that things are starting to open up, people are still in the hospital, right? And I'm still getting calls from law firms like, hey, I need you to go to the hospital and meet with people. And it creates such a problem for me because, A, I don't want to endanger my people that work for me. Not all of them, they have their shots, but they're still not thrilled about going into a hospital environment and then also dealing with the administrative on hospital. Because what happens is a firm like yourself will talk to somebody and the the person they're talking to and saying, yes, you can come visit. Well, that's not really true. If you're a direct family member, you can, but an attorney, you need to really talk to the charge nurse and really understand the policy of the hospital. And we're running into a lot of problems like that. So definitely we've had to be creative this last uh, year or so. And it's still a problem. I, I hate turning work away, but it, it once or twice a week, somebody calls me and says, hey, go to the hospital. I'm like, I would if I could, but you know, I don't really can't. And I hope that changes soon. It's also somewhat harder because you don't present the same business card that I, I would present, for example. Obviously, right. I, I can go in there. I am an attorney. Right. I've got a little more gray hair on my head than you do. I'm catching up. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I have the business card of, of an attorney, and yeah. it, it carries some weight. There's truth to that. Yeah. And it, it gets me in the room. Yeah. Um, but listen, COVID has changed almost everything. Yeah. Uh, the, the world has been turned on its ear. I can't wait for the courtrooms to open back up and f- for me to be able to try cases. I miss it. Yeah. Well, I, I just miss the conferences in court. Yeah. We, we used to go in the room and you, you, you know, you sit and you chat with other lawyers, you get to schmooze with them. Sure. And with the court personnel, I miss all that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it definitely, I, I would say I'd related a little bit to like 9-11, right? So when that happened, you know, the whole going to court was a very weird experience too. getting into the, 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 the courtroom, the building, these policies and procedures. I mean, it could take you about two and a half hours. You know, you had an yeah. current attorney card. I didn't, <laughs> you know, an agent yeah. of an attorney didn't matter. So if I had to go to court for something, you had to put that, that time away. So the dynamics were different. And I think even now, like the dynamics are going to be different when things open back up. Right. So, you know, what is I that going to look so. like, you know, and it's like now you're, you're uh, interviewing a, a, a potential juror. Like, do you have the right to ask them if they're vaccinated or not? I don't know. You know, it's, it's a weird question. I, I, we don't know the answers to a lot of questions. Right. Yeah. You don't want somebody getting sick when they're on your panel. Right. Is, so is that question going to be allowable? That, that's really an interesting question to see how they, uh, how they handle yeah, it. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it develops and how it pans out. Yeah. And, and I think whatever we'll start with will not be what we end up with. More. <laughs> Good point. Yes. It will change. It will definitely change. Uh, but it, I think it's time, though. I mean, it's good to, to see things starting to, to open back yeah, up. Yeah, I'm happy. Look, looks I'm like really we, happy. We have a window here. It's more than just going out to eat. You know, it's like life in general needs to yeah, you know, come Yeah, out. it's nice just to be able to walk down the street without a mask on your face. I tell you. Yeah, it's uh, especially when it gets hot out. It's a little difficult. Um, so you, you have handled all different types of law. Um, I mean, and you've had some very big cases, too, um, you know, taking a look at your career, it's, it's been impressive. Is there anything that kind of sticks with you, something you're, you're most proud of or, or really like at the end of the day, you're like, wow, that was pretty amazing to be involved in that experience. We don't do a great deal of it, but we do uh, handle some cases involving uh, malicious prosecution and false arrest. And it mm-hmm. turns out that one of those cases is to me, my most rewarding moment it involved a woman who was an illegal in the country, uh, a Mexican woman who spoke no English and was of very limited intelligence and was in jail for four years pending prosecution for allegedly stabbing and gutting a man 21 times. If you took one look at this woman, you would know that she was not capable of anything of the sort. But the police did what they did. They arrested her. They indicted her. They extorted a confession from her over 22 hours. And the city of New York, who was the defendant in the case amongst multiple uh, police officers, made a motion for summary judgment, which means we win, they lose. The judge in Queens County agreed with them and dismissed the case. We appealed it to the appellate division, second department, because we thought we had very compelling evidence that the way the police conducted this entire investigation, including coercing a confession from her, uh, warranted reversal. It was a unanimous decision, and we lost. And at that point, you're stuck. Right. And the only thing you can do is ask, or rather beg, the Court of Appeals to see the case. And a motion was written by two of the people, three of us in the office, including my son, Zach, Peter Regal, out myself. And we wrote a motion to the Court of Appeals, basically saying to them that these kind of cases in this posture, the way the, the law stands, a certain presumption uh, that exists from uh, an indictment of probable cause, that they get handled one way in the federal courts and a different way in the state courts. Right. And that shouldn't be, and that they should hear the case. And they heard the case 
and they reversed the decision. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and reinstated the case, and the case went on. It, it appeared in Queens County Trial Court shortly thereafter. The city realized they were now not in such a great position, and uh, they settled the case for $4 million. Yeah, and when I first got into business, I worked you know, on a case that was a civil rights violation case, right? And it was a big, huge case. And it was up in the Bronx, and it was in front of a, a, a judge named Stanley Green, who character, right? <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And big, huge case. They ended up, uh, the jury came back with like an $80 million verdict. Right? It was unheard of. The biggest injury was a fractured nose. Bronx. Yeah, it was the Bronx, right? So the, Judge Green got so angry, he sent the jur- jury back. He's like, you obviously didn't understand my instructions. Go back now and deliberate. So they came back two hours later, the same exact $81 million, right? I never forget it, right? Because I'm, I'm literally just about to go into business. And this was the attorney I was working for before I started my business. And, he, and Judge Green looks at the attorney and he goes, your clients are never going to see this money ever. I was like, wow. So it goes up on appeal. Well, they won't. Well, this is what happened. It went up on appeal. Not 80 million, but no, no. get some of it. No, it gets worse, right? So it goes up on appeal. The city's now like, oh, wow, we just got banged for $81 million. Here's $9 million. Take it or leave it. And the group of people were like, no, we're not taking it. We're, we're, we're going full route. And, you know, went up on appeal and they lost everything. They didn't get a dime. Nothing. Nothing? Zero. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. a $9 million offer. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, it God. happens. How do you explain that? <laughs> you never know, man. There's nothing guaranteed. I've seen somebody trip over a rat and get $120,000. I mean, this industry is, it's its interesting. It certainly is interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think that more times than not, the results that come out are just. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm curious how that whole um, civil rights uh, you know, violations and stuff like that in today's environment over the past two years would be very different than it was, let's say, 10 years ago, right? Oh, it is different yeah. because now now the prosecutors have uh, departments that go over. Uh, they, they look for people who have been um, convicted, who should be exonerated. Right. It, it's, it's more transparent than it used to be. And in fact, at the decision in, in our case, the Torres case, changed some of the rules about how you view these cases. Yeah. It changed the question about the presumption of uh, probable cause, which is what you need in order to hold yeah. hold the plaintiff's feet to the fire yeah. uh, in one of those cases. Um, and if there's, let's call it bad conduct on the part of the police, improper conduct, coerced confessions, right. hidden evidence, they lose. Yeah, and, and- Or at least the plaintiff doesn't lose Right. And has a shot to go to court and present their case to a jury, and it wasn't quite like that in the state courts before Torres. Yeah, that, that's, uh, so that's, at times it has changed. It has changed. That's pretty amazing that your your case to help grease the wheels on that. And and believe me, I'm as pro police as the next guy. Obviously, the industry I'm in, but not everybody's a Boy Scout. You know, people do things they're not supposed to do. I think one of the other interesting things too is uh, body cams. I think that's kind of changing, you know, how things are happening here, folks knowing that they're being recorded. But it's beneficial on both sides, right? The officer knows, hey, I, you know, if I'm on the straight and narrow, the truth shall set me free. And the other people, when you go and you're starting, something happens and they see the camera on the body, they're like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'll behave myself because I know this could not end well for me, right? Yeah, I, th- I think body cams are, uh, are a wonderful 
invention yeah. and a wonderful addition to the police department. It keeps the police on the straight and narrow, yeah. and it keeps the uh, the people who are being policed yeah. on the straight and narrow. One thing's for sure, like you said, pictures pictures tell the truth. Yeah. That's yeah. why you do what you do for a living, because yeah. one of the things that you guys do is you get videographic and photographic proof. Right. And pictures oh. are pictures. It's, yeah. Can't change them. Can't change them. Can, but. Right. Well. <laughs> not properly. I, I got a whole teaching on that. <laughs> uh, John Afridi is, uh, is, is my mentor, my guru when it comes to, to photography. Uh, just amazing, amazing Big gentleman. Time. And uh, I was actually just at a, a conference down in South Carolina this past week. And uh, there was a gentleman who was doing a uh, presentation on photography. And he had called me before he did his presentation. He said, I saw your webinar and I'd like to take some of the information you have on there for it. I was like, great, I'm actually going to be at that seminar. So yeah, perfect. And there were some questions that came up along the way. And I just I couldn't help but like, <laughs> raise my hand and interject. <laughs> because you know, that's what I do. Uh, yeah, and it was like, I'm laying John Afridi's nuggets on everybody. You know, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. Because uh, he really, really helped me. Um, and there's another attorney, a guy named Leo Rinides, uh that just along the way, no, you did it wrong. Go out and do it this way, and and uh, you know he'd send me back out to do things. And you know, trial and error makes you makes you get better. And it gets tricky when it comes to construction cases and things like that. So we're we're gonna actually take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna start digging into labor law because that really is what I wanted to talk today about, and just setting the the table for uh, for the investigator understanding when you do this type of work uh, what you need to do. So everybody, sit tight, and we will be right back. The Parisman Firm is a New York City legal practice that fights for victims in claims involving construction accidents, motor vehicle crashes, and serious personal injury matters. Since 1983, attorney David Parisman and his team have recovered more than half a billion dollars for clients and have won over 50 verdicts and settlements of over a million or more in the past five years alone. The Parisman Firm is known for its passionate approach and fielding a roster of top-rated trial lawyers, recognized by super lawyers and the best lawyers in America. The firm is ranked among the U.S. News Best Lawyers, Best Law Firms list and has won numerous recoveries published in the New York Law Journal's annual top verdicts and settlements list. See the contact link in the show notes. Cross tracks case management system. That is what we are talking about today. Are you using a case management system? What are you waiting for? If you don't use a case management system, you really need to look into implementing that into your business regimen. I've been at it with cross tracks now a little over a year, and it's just been a game changer for my business. They are SOC 2 certified, SOC 2 Type 2 certified. If you don't know what that means, it means that they're encryption system is second to none and you have to go through a whole screening process to figure out uh, if you can even qualify for that and they have so you know with certainty your data is being protected i don't think there's another case management system out there that offers that same ability to have the SOC 2 type 2 certification as you guys know i've been uh, you know singing the praises of cross tracks and uh, i really believe in this product and i believe you should check it out Contact Brad, contact Pat, uh, one of the team members over there, and see if it's right for you. Crosstracks case management system, check it out today. Want full data access without a site inspection? IRB Search gives you full social security numbers, dates of birth, 
up-to-date contact info, and so much more without the inconvenience or cost of an inspection. As an added bonus, you can access IRB data on any device in any location. You'll always have the best data anytime, anywhere. Visit irbsearch.com and use exclusive promo code PIPOD2021 for a free trial and 100 credits. Offer available for new and returning customers. Have you heard about the NALI Conference on June 23rd through June 25th? NALI heads to San Antonio, Texas for the premier live conference event of the year. You don't want to miss this great opportunity. Visit NALI.com to learn more. Matt will welcome Kelly Riddle back in a few weeks to highlight the conference. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Uh, we're here with David Parisman. David, I want to welcome you back to the program. Thank you. The purpose of this conversation today really was, was supposed to gear around uh, labor law and construction cases. And uh, I, I want to dive into that topic now. So you obviously have had a, a, a long career doing these types of work. Um, and uh, I would say, what would you say would, would be the, like the number one mistake an investigator that you are working with makes when they're diving in to do this type of work? The things that stick out to me is getting statements from people that they think are beneficial for the case, but isn't really what the witness wants to say. I always tell my investigators, do me a favor. Don't don't try and get them to, you know, say things in a way that benefits me. I need to know what they really intend to say because I don't want to be sandbagged later on. And the other thing that sticks out to me the most is in these labor law cases, the law is nuanced and you have to know what it is that, that the plaintiff needs to establish to win their 240, 241.6 or labor law 200 case so that you can weave and bob with what the witness says and they may say this and you say, and then you'll turn around and say, okay, but what about that? And they may say something else and it'll be enough. Right. Uh, you know, a, the classic example I give is if you have a uh, case where um, a, a worker falls from a ladder, the ladder wobbles, it falls, the ladder falls, they fall. That is a case that absent unusual circumstances, the plaintiff should win summary judgment on motion. That is not a case that will go to trial likely on liability, maybe on damages, but not on liability. Right. And really all the investigator needs to establish, it's nice if the ladder was broken, it's nice if the ladder was old, it's nice if the ladder was wobbly, all those things are nice, but all they have to prove is that it was unbraced, unsecured, and that it wobbled and they fell. And many times they go up to a witness and they'll say, well, did you see the accident? And they'll say, no. Yeah. But there's more questions to be asked after that. Sure. Did you hear the accident? And they may say, I did. And what'd you hear? I heard a bang and a thud. Well, what did it sound like to you? It sounded like something, like somebody hit the ground and then like maybe a ladder hit the ground, something wood or something metal hit the ground. Right. And did you look and did you go over? And yes. And what did you see? I saw the the plaintiff on the ground and they were next to the ladder. Was there anyone else nearby? No. Did it appear to you? that there had been anyone else nearby who was holding or bracing and securing the ladders? No. Was there anything around the ladder that it was braced and secured with? 
No. Case over. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, and that's that's the thing. And, and you do get that a lot, right? So when you're talking to people, you know, usually depending on the type of work they're doing, there could be teams of people doing work, but it could be, you know, guys solo doing whatever. And, you know, the, the coworker maybe is in the other room, you know, and it's like they first become alerted of the incident after it happened. But that, hey, lay the foundation for me of what you saw when you went over there. So important. I think what the points that you're making really, really um, important. So let let's um, talk about the nuances a little bit, the different labor laws. Um, because I mean, this is New York, so you know, if you're an investigator from another state, do your due diligence and under, understand what the the labor laws are in your particular state. But we're focusing on New York here. Um, so when you say labor law 200, 240, and 241, break that down me for me for somebody who really wouldn't understand what that means. Labor law 200 is really what we call a codification of general rule, general negligence, requiring employers to provide a safe place to work. That's basically what that's about. Right. Um, And it can be any kind of negligent condition on a construction site. Uh, Holes left in the floor, objects left on the floor, debris left on the floor, snow and ice. Right. Um, all, all types of conditions, but the people who really get sued, although the employer is required to provide the safe place to work, are the owner and general contractor. Right. Because they're the ones that can be responsible. But in a 200 case, you have to prove that they were involved in the negligent act. That's tough generally with an owner. Yeah because they're usually not on site. Maybe the GC. Tool time. Uh, (laughs) Toolbox meetings. That's what does it for you. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Um, 241.6 is different. 241.6 together with 240 are both vicarious liability statutes, in essence. In other words, if the employer failed to provide a safe place to work, it doesn't matter whether the owner and the general contractor were involved in that. You're an owner, you're a general contractor, that's your subcontractor who the employee was an employee of, you're responsible for the failure to provide the safe place to work. Now on 241.6, it can be all sorts of different types of negligence and, uh, and failures, similar to 200, except the only difference is in 200, there are no boundaries. It can be almost anything. Right. In 241.6, it has to meet one of the regulations in the NYCRR, the New York Code of Rules and Regulations. And that's a 1972 or 1976 set of regulations. Right. If it doesn't fit into one of those regulations, you do not have a 241.6 case. Right. But the regulations are pretty expansive and they cover a lot of things. Um, and, and when an investigator goes to an accident, that's not necessarily a height related accident, which is 240, as I'll tell you in a moment, mm-hmm. um, they should speak to the attorney and ask them what regulations are you thinking I'm going to be looking for here yeah. and get yeah. a copy of those regulations and read them yep. and, and see what it is you need to prove because they can be pretty narrow and focused, um, and, and you need to prove it within those regulations. As I said, no regulation, no 241.6. Yep. You may have a 200, 
but not a 241.6. But under 200, you need to prove that the GC supervised and controlled that particular act, whereas on 241.6, you do not need to prove it. The owner and GC are vicariously responsible for the acts of other people who are underneath them. Right. And then there's 240, which is the big dog. 240 is the gravity-related section, and that is falling objects, falling workers, and things similar to falling objects and falling workers. Uh, because if something happens as a result of gravity, um, it's not necessarily a worker who falls or an object that falls. But for example, there's a well-known case called Runner where they were lowering a, a, a reel of wire, a big reel down a staircase. Uh, it was a short staircase, four, five, six stairs. And they were using a pole at the top of the staircase that they wrapped a rope around and they were pulling on it to hold it, to keep it from going wildly down the stairs. Well, they couldn't. It went down the stairs and the worker got pulled into the pole and injured their hand. Mm -hmm. That was 240 because the reason the roll went down the stairs, the reel rather went down the stairs was due to gravity. Yeah. And although the worker wasn't a falling worker and it wasn't a falling object, that's 240 also. So I had something similar. I had a an elevator case where the the counterweight, uh, I guess they they malfunctioned in some way, and there was some line that was uh, connected to the elevator. And uh, as the counterweight fell and it started to go down the uh, the the hole there, the rope wrapped itself around the guy's leg and actually pulled him up and hit he hit the top of the elevator. That's 240. Yeah, yeah, very interesting stuff. That's 240. So 240 is a pretty expansive statute. Right. Um, and, and again, one of the things I think an investigator should do before they go to a, uh, a site and they're going to investigate an accident, understand that maybe 240, it may be 241.6, it may be 200, it may be yeah. all of them. Right. Investigate the various aspects and speak to the attorney and get the attorney to lay out what are you looking for? Yeah. What do you need from me? So I know what I should look for, what kind of photographs, videos, statements, right. um, what kind of evidence are you looking for? What kind of documents are you looking for? Yeah, just, you know, setting setting you up for a win, really understanding it. I, I definitely have a bunch of clients I work with where I do have that relationship. I'm going to say it's great. It makes me feel good, too, because it makes them like they trust me to, to understand, to know what they're looking for. Well, they uh, should. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good they stuff. They should. You know, I've had circumstances where I've told an investigator, particularly ones when they were newer to me, when you get to the scene and you meet the witness, pick up your cell phone and get me on the phone with them. Yep. And let me have a conversation with them, with you. And because I'm going to be able to weave and bob my way through the labor law a little more easily than somebody else will. And I'll help direct them and then say, okay, now we got what we need. Yeah. Now sit down, write it up. And in labor law cases, my suggestion is you don't just get a statement. You get an affidavit. Oh, everything. I mean, I do it on all personal injury cases sworn to before me. You know, I've read the statement under the penalty of perjury. Have to have that under the penalty of perjury within Correct. your affidavit. 
you know, and, and now it's a sworn statement. If you don't do that, you've pretty much just guaranteed that guy that he's getting subpoenaed. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's probably going to get subpoenaed anyway. But, you know, you want to talk about motion for summary judgment. If you don't have that affidavit, you're not getting there, right? Right. Statement is not admissible. Yeah. You might be able to admit a statement in opposition to a motion for summary judgment if they offer testimony of that witness and you have a statement where they said something different. Right. In opposition, yes, but to make a summary judgment motion as affirmative evidence, right. you need an affidavit. Have you and ever right, sworn to before me yep. under penalties of perjury, notarized at the bottom? Yep. So have you ever come across a situation where you've had that phone conversation and now you're you're deposing or doing uh, um, you know calling them in to testify and uh, the whole question about have we ever met or, or talked before? Because I know that's an angle some of the yeah. adversaries bring uh, upon, right? Is that- it, 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 it just happened the other day. There was, uh, a, you know, a focus by the uh, attorneys because they didn't like what the witness had to say on meeting. Did you meet with me? Did you meet with the plaintiff? And it happened they that they actually, this particular witness, happened to have run into the plaintiff on the street. Right. They spent a half an hour on that. But yes, you know, and, and, and the answer to the question is yes. It, it's uncomfortable when they go, have you met with the attorney? How many times did you talk? Yeah. Did you discuss the case? And the worst thing that a witness can say is no. Now, if they haven't, great. Right. But if they have, don't lie. It's a, yeah, it's don't a problem. Don't lie. Yes, I met. Of, did we discuss the case? Of course. Did the attorney tell you what to say? Yeah, he told me to tell the truth. Right. And, and, and it's. I think it's. Discuss. It's he much. Asked me a ton of questions. I gave him a ton of answers. Yeah. And, Yep. Every answer I gave me asked me another question and it went back and forth like that. So we had gone over everything and then he said, good, thank you. And I appreciate it. Happy to happy right. days. Right. I think it's much easier when you're um, deposing that person to, to put it out there, right. Rather than the other side, bring it up. Right. Uh, yes. it, you're lessening yes. the blow essentially uh, yes. and you're controlling the narrative. So yeah, it's important. Um, and it also prevents them when the other side says it from, having that instinct that they need to lie about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so hard, you know, and I got to say one of the bigger problems I I come across when doing this type of work too, is convincing the person, you know, uh, that they want that to get involved, you know, because it is such a small industry and they're afraid, like I'm going to get blacklisted, you know, like I can tell you everything you need to know in your case, but I'm worried that, you know, I'll get thrown out of my union or, you know, they'll, they'll I'll never get hired anywhere to, to do anything. And how do you answer that? You know, it's like, I don't know the future. It's, it's a very diff- difficult situation. And in that case I mentioned to you the other day, there were two gentlemen who testified, both of whom were in very similar physical positions to observe what had happened. And yeah. the first one miraculously saw nothing. Right. I don't remember anything. I didn't see anything, despite the fact that when the Department of Buildings came to the site, he did see things and he told them what he saw. Yeah. But he didn't see anything. And it was funny because the other guy, they didn't have much from him. But when he testified, he watched the whole darn thing. Yeah. Um, and, and you could see, you know, he was in his employer's office when he was testifying. You could see the discomfort but he also knew that my client was badly injured yeah. and he wanted to do the right thing and say what he really saw. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I think but it's hard. One, one of the other challenges uh, is uh, I'm missing work, right? 
And, you know, am I going to be compensated for my time? And that's, that's a slippery slope, you know, like will the attorney pay you to come to your deposition, you know, and there's a way to handle that. Right. And I think each firm handles it differently. And I know the, 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 the bar association has, has opinion on this stuff on what's proper and what's not proper. Um, I, I'm in, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm always like, if they can, if they show up and they show what they make, uh, you can compensate them for travel time. You can compensate them for, for the time it takes for the deposition and the return trip home. Is that correct? You can compensate yeah. them for their loss that day. If they right. would have made $90 that day, you can give them the $90 and you can give them their transportation costs. Right. Yeah. That, that's you shouldn't okay. have to lose a day's work right. to come to a deposition. Yeah. That's one of the big challenges. And interestingly enough, now that we've got this virtual life that we're all doing, we all understand Zoom and, and having depositions on Zoom. It's been my experience, what I'm seeing so far, it's a lot easier to get these guys to commit, you know, that, oh, I just got to turn on my computer and, you know, my two hours instead of taking like half a day to go, you know, travel and go down and do whatever. So I think it's greasing the wheels a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that getting them scheduled is easier because people are home. Yeah. And when you have multiple attorneys involved, I'm home. Well, yeah, I got two hours that day. I, I can sit down at a computer for two hours. Right. You know, it, that's a, a whole different, uh, uh, it's a horse of a different color when you got to get up, put on a suit and tie, and you got to go into some place in, in another borough in the city yeah. and the whole process. Yeah, it's great. I think it's here to Anyways, stay. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's going to always be some sort of hybrid thing going on here. Um, yeah, we've we've kind of proved that we we can handle that technology, and I think it'll move cases, which is really great. You know that that you can you know get these things out of the way and do what you need to do. I think it's great. Yeah, are you able to do certain things with Zoom with interviewing witnesses and stuff? Yeah, so we we are able to take notarized statements if the person is in New York State. So they basically have to prove they're in the state at the time that we're interviewing them. Um, because that was a big deal during COVID too. So the governor, um, you know, it, I think it was 202.7 was the executive order. Uh, they keep extending it. I got to actually take a look and see if it's still extended. Cause last I checked mid May is when, the, when it was extended to. Um, so yeah, I gotta, I gotta go double check. And that's been a blessing and curse for my business. Right. So <clears throat> the blessing is, Hey, I'm able to actually do work during COVID and, and make money and, and whatever. The uh, curse of it is, so is the attorney who would hire me <laughs> and he's not doing much these days. So instead of hiring the investigator to take that statement, or maybe I'll just have somebody from, you know, from my office do it. Right. Which is not, in my opinion, it's not the way to do things. Uh, it can hurt you later on, but some of them have been doing it. Sometimes an attorney can scare off a witness. True. Yep. And in many circumstances, the investigators are more skilled at, at talking to witnesses, talking to people, yeah. getting them to feel comfortable with them and give them inv information. When it's a lawyer, yeah, you know. It's a patience thing too. You know, like you got tons of other stuff to do. You know, if I can really hone in and focus on what I need to do, um, you, you just get a better product. And and you know, the worst thing you can do is send, you know, George from your mailroom to go and do something or take photos and all that because it's just falling under the scope too of, of you know, this is an employee of mine and, you know, it just creates problems. Yeah. Listen, George from the, uh, the mailroom is not the person to send to take pictures. Yeah, definitely. Because you never get the right pictures. Right. Yeah. You know, like you said, ask John Afridi. He'll Isn't tell that... you about pictures and yeah. how you take them, where you take them. And, and how many times have I told people, 
it, my clients that, that live down the block from something that some that something occurred and go to the scene. I'll, I'll get an investigator out there, but it's going to take a day or two. If you have the chance, go to the scene, take your cell phone, take it from this angle, close up, backwards, yeah. this way, that way, and you get back this bunch of blurry, horrible junk. Yep. You know, they, they take a picture of a defect and they take it real close. It could be anywhere. It's no context. Because they never backed away to show you where it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why we need people like you. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Uh, so one of the questions that during the conference that came up that I had to raise my hand and say something is somebody had asked a question about, um, do I take a picture of the ruler? Like not of the defect. Like let's say it's one of those walking measuring things. What I do, I just take a picture to identify it. And I'm like, don't do that because you've now invited the attorney to tell you to bring that with you when you have, you go get called to court and it just creates so much nonsense. Like just buy a Lufkin ruler. Everybody knows what a Lufkin ruler is. Have it available if you need it and use that. Right. Uh, no one's really going to nitpick like that. Uh, but one of the other things that I always do too, and John had told me this, take a picture of the defect, um, with the ruler and the exact same picture without the ruler. So if there is any question about the validity of that ruler, you now still have a picture of the defect if you need it. Right. So very, very smart. Yeah. It's just good stuff. And uh, you know, interesting. Uh, this guy met down in, in South Carolina, he, he actually brings chalk with him and he'll measure out and make like a live diagram where he's, he's after he's done his initial workup. Now he's chalking things on the ground. I was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting perspective sure. of a juror looking at a picture Okay, now I'm seeing the lines like on the picture. Yeah, it's kind of cool, you know. Not not a game changer per se, but just something a little extra and different. I thought was was really cool. It makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was good stuff. I know uh, the other thing too. Like as an investigator, uh, what would be your recommendation if somebody has concerns about subpoenaing? Like, hey, am I going to get subpoenaed and called to court? What What would you say the investigator should? How should they answer that question? If we're talking about a labor law case. Labor law case, yeah. Okay. The answer is, if we can get clear and specific enough in this affidavit, and there's nobody who can say anything different than this affidavit, you may not have to ever get subpoenaed to court on, yeah. on this case. Yeah. Is it possible you may be? Yes. Right. So, so here's how I answer that question, right? So I tell them, at, at this point in time, the attorney I'm working with does not intend to call you, right? This should hopefully solve our issue, but I cannot make any guarantees that no one will knock on your door again. I can't make any guarantees that the other side won't say, hey, we want our shot to take a look, uh, to talk to this particular person. I make no promises. And I think, yeah, it's really important. Never promise somebody, oh, you'll never hear from me again or anything like that. Because the second they do hear from you again, they're going to be pissed. <laughs> like, no, you told yeah, me I was yeah, done. I, I agree with you completely, but um, that's a good answer. Yeah. It's a different way of saying what I said. Right. If you do a good enough job with this, with, with whatever you're going to sign for me, this affidavit, you shouldn't hear from me again. Yeah. It's almost like this is the purpose I'm meeting with you. So we don't have to do that later on. Exactly. Um, it is. I try and do it, you know, and sometimes it, I've had situations where somebody has talked to me verbally and New York is a one party state, right? So we've got the recording it's all good. And you know, that's good for many reasons, right? You need to refresh your memory later on. Or somebody says, he said this, he gave me money of this or, or this and that, or promised me this. We got recordings of everything, right? Um, so I've done the, the, the phone interview. Now we want to do the in-person. They're like, no, I'm not doing it. Forget, I'm bad. I want nothing to do with it. And I've seen situations where attorneys have actually subpoenaed people 
and then have me follow up with a phone call like, hey, you got that subpoena now. I told you it was coming and, uh, or I told you it was a possibility it could come, right? You never want to threaten them, them with it. Now that you've gotten it, instead of going to, and wasting the half a day, how about you let me come out and meet with you and we just get this thing out of the way. I'll come to you at night, whatever's easier around your schedule the weekend. That tends to work a lot too. Um, yeah, that makes sense. A lot less that resistant. But, but you never want to tell somebody, oh, you're going to get subpoenaed. You definitely don't want to do that because duress, right? You don't want to create that, you know. No, oh, you don't want to threaten. You know, like I had to sign this or else, you know, like, no, we definitely don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a real animal, you know, interesting thing to do. So I, I would say, and we're going to wind things down here. I would say like, if you intend on doing this type of work, uh, you really want to understand what you need to do and what you need to get to get you as the attorney, what you need. Right. Um, so I, I think this whole idea of reviewing the, you know, what the laws are before you go and having that conversation with the attorney, that's gold right there. And uh, if people's heads are spinning right now, I actually have the labor laws. They're going to be in the show notes. Um, so I'll throw that up there. Um, if you're in New York, you can, uh, you know, obviously review all that stuff. If you're in your own state again, uh, do some homework, <laughs> figure it out and, Different. and, and yeah, and get your clients what they, uh, what they need. Any parting advice for investigators here, Dave, on, on doing uh, statement work? Never give up. Right. Tenacity. That's a good one. Never give up. Yeah. There's, there's times a witness is going to try and evade you and make it difficult or they just don't want to get be bothered. Don't give up. Yeah. Keep, keep working them. Try, them diff, try different methods and you'll get there and you'll get what you need. Definitely. Definitely. How do folks get a hold of you if uh, they have any questions? Um, nowadays on my cell phone, but mm. usually my office number is, uh, 212-977-7033. Perfect. Well, also, we have a vanity number, 718 workers. Awesome. Um, which is easier to remember. Yeah. And we'll throw all that stuff in the show notes too. So, uh, you, you can find me on my website, right. Parisman, P-E-R-E-C-M-A-N, Parisman.com. Right. Easy. There's a, a whole chat system in there and you can, just send a message my way. It'll come to me. If you want me specifically, you yeah. can ask for me specifically. And, and usually I'll get back to you within a matter of hours. Awesome. So David, I really appreciate this. I mean, it means the world that, that folks like you guys like take the time to educate your vendors essentially on what you need to, to, to do on this stuff. So well, um, I'm honored that you asked me. I appreciate yeah. the opportunity and uh, maybe we can do it again sometime. Definitely. I'm sure there are tons of subjects we can talk about. <laughs> Car accident case is a whole nother animal. <laughs> so yeah, that's a whole other animal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So thank you everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you guys next week on the next show. Thank you, Matthew. Okay. Is your head spinning yet? Like mine is that was a lot of information and we thank David for taking the time to really dig into this topic. Now make sure you check out the show notes for the descriptions of the labor laws in New York state. Not from New York? Well, make sure you do some research and remember it's okay to ask your attorney client for an explanation of what they need on their statements. And we also want to thank Crosstracks, the Parisman firm, Merlin Locate, IRB, and Stumore Investigations for sponsoring the show. Have you checked out investigatorstoolbox.com yet? Well, you can join through the app available on iOS and Android platforms. You'll be able to access the whole site right from your iPhone or your Android. There's no better time than today to finally sign up for the site. And for 49 cents a day, you can take advantage of some great networking, training, and data resource management. So use code PIP201836 to save an extra $20. 
If you have a question or comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back on Monday with a new show, so make sure you tune in. Stay safe out there.